Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. It's the Contender Cast with Justin Hahnemann. We're shining a light on bright ideas. And today I've got Robbie Kelman Baxter on, and we're going to talk about the membership economy. Robbie, I'm so excited you're on the podcast. Oh, me too. I'm excited to be here. I couldn't wait for this conversation. In fact, we're sitting like a couple miles from each other. We should have gotten together in person, but <laughs> <laughs> next time. So you guys are going to love Robbie and this topic, the membership economy, but a little bit about Robbie. So first of all, Robbie, undergrad at Harvard, MBA at Stanford, in the consulting and finance space, and then decided to start your own company 17 years ago, Peninsula Strategy. So Robbie, let's start with that. So how did you get into um, this whole idea of launching your own business? Well, the, the simple truth is I got laid off while I was on the Oh, jeez. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> I, am never, I am never going to be in the position again of having somebody else decide my career. And, and then, you know, sort of more broadly, I'd been a consultant before. I right, worked I at Brunel and Hamilton, yep. so I, I knew how to do consulting. Um, I had been um, very involved in business school in the Venture Capital Associate, you know, the Venture Capital Club at Stanford. Absolutely. So I knew a lot of the VCs and I knew a lot of the startups and that many, many tech startups didn't have um, strategy and marketing uh, expertise. Um, they were often started by uh, engineers who are really strong um, on the technical side, but not as much on the business side. So I saw an opportunity and I thought, you know, I'm going to try this at least for a little while and see how it works. And, um, especially while, you know, to be candid while my babies are little, um, <laughs> right. And then, <laughs> Gives you the flexibility. Yeah. And, and it ended up, you know, three to five years. I thought I was going to do it. And then at about the five year mark, I took a break and said, okay, I'm going to look around at all the options that are out there for me. Um, buying a company, um, going back to work at a big consulting firm, um, expanding my firm, and I couldn't find anything that was a better fit for me. Wow! So I love it. So first, I was first I was sad because right. I'm looking so hard and I can't find what I'm looking for. And then somebody said to me, you know, dummy, you know, if you can't find anything that is a better fit for you than what you're already doing right now, maybe you should that. do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. Stick with, stick with what so then I really doubled down on on, on consulting and right. on kind of developing expertise in a particular, you know, space and, and all of that. So that's, that's kind of my story. I how love I it. ended up with this firm. I love that. And what a great lesson learned. Cause I think a lot of other people kind of wander around at that point. You know what I mean? They're not sure. They're not sure whether to keep doing their own thing or go back to the big company or, I mean, they get confused. And it, I, I just think a lot of people sometimes need that, that kind of extra over the top support to go and pursue something like this. Yeah, definitely. Chicken a pants. <laughs> <laughs> no question. No question. Well, listen, so you have coined this phrase, the membership economy, and um, I can't wait to dive into this. And I want to hear kind of where this came from. And, and we're going to talk just to all of you that are listening. No, our roadmap today is we're going to dive into this whole idea of subscription-based and SaaS-based businesses and the whole membership economy and how it applies to consumer goods and retail specifically. And so, Robbie, let's start with talk about the definition of membership economy and how you evolved that term. Yeah, the, the membership economy is a, is a massive trend that is changing how businesses interact with the people they serve. And it's about a move from ownership to access, uh, from the transactional uh, to the relational, so an unknown trans, an anonymous transaction to a known ongoing relationship. It's about a single one-time payment moving to many smaller payments on an ongoing basis. 
And it's about a change in the way that companies interact uh, from us, you know, the company has a loudspeaker and the customer has to listen to not just two-way communication, but multi-directional communication under the, the umbrella of the company's brand. When you, when you put those things together, you have this palette, like a painter's palette, to create new business models. And that's really what the membership economy is all about. Wow, interesting. And I mean, you see this come to life with some of the companies out there that are challenging the the legacy ways of going to market, right? So like we talked about before the podcast, like Dollar Shave Club, Blue Apron, right? They're going around the traditional routes to market and, and kind of breaking some of the tradition that you find in like products and how you purchase them or have access to them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, technology is changing what's possible in terms of how you interact with your customer. And that's really, you know, that's really what's driving this whole transformation is there's all these new tools that are available. So when somebody's starting a business today, so like, you know, let's say, um, you know, Blue Apron or, or Dollar Shape Club, when they started the business, they're not limited by their pre-existing ideas around channels, distribution, manufacturing. They just have a whole new set of, of tools. So when they're starting from scratch, they can design something that better serves the customer's needs. No question. Well, and you do a lot of work with companies that are are maybe, I don't want to say stuck in the past, but trying to evolve their business model. What is it that you see that... you know? There's probably two types of companies you work with, right? What is it you see that for the ones that are able to take these ideas and, and do something with them and those that are not able to evolve? What are the trends or the characteristics of the two different types of companies that you work with? Yeah, so so it's it's a great question. So when I started consulting um, with subscription businesses and membership businesses, they were mostly, and I'm I'm here in Silicon Valley. They were mostly um, brand new startups, venture backed startups. So they had the luxury of not having anybody depending on them, right? These, and, and in contrast, these big companies have customers, channel partners, manufacturing facilities right. that they own, infrastructure, stores, real estate, and so. You know, it's a very different set of challenges. And when you look at those bigger companies, those very established, long-time businesses, you know, I always say, you know, the startups make fun of the big companies and say, you know, we're a little speed, but we're speedboats. We can go so fast. Right. These guys are like big luxury cargo ships or, or cruise ships. And I say, yeah, and a cruise ship has thousands of people sitting on it. So if you turn too fast, people actually die. So, you know, there is, it, it is, you do have to move more slowly in some cases because there's more riding on it, literally. And so when you, when you look at these big traditional companies that have long histories and, um, and lots of money riding on it, the ones that succeed in transforming to membership are the ones who are First of all, the ones where the people at the top of the company understand what it means. So, you know, I like to say, you know, a subscription is a pricing decision. It's a tactic. Membership is the mindset of the organization. And it's about about prioritizing the long-term relationship over the short-term transaction. Wow. That's a great great bottom line right there. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) so you can can apply that to almost any business. Right. So let's say that you're, you say um, it's, it's a nail salon, right? Really simple business. So I go in every two weeks, they give me a manicure, I pay 20 bucks. You know, it's a transaction. If I never come back, they don't really care. They don't really know. But if they went to a membership model, 
right? They would start thinking, okay, what is Robbie's, um, if, if Robbie, in fact, is their target, you know, what I call a best customer, if Robbie is the kind of person who they know they can acquire, who they know is going to stay, you know, stay engaged and who's going to stay for a long time, those three things. Then they would say, okay, well, what does Robbie really want when she comes to us? What is the real reason she's here? And the truth is, it's not because I enjoy getting a manicure. It's because I want my nails to look professional. Right. All the time. Absolutely. I work and I, in a certain way, I want to present myself. Sure. So really, what I would rather have is a magic pill that I could swallow once a week (laughs) and my nails would just stay perfect. Right. And the closer they can get to that, the happier I'll be and the more I'm willing to pay. Got so it. it's a, so then you start to say, oh, well, really what she wants is she wants to be able to drop in anytime her nails don't look good and get them touched up as opposed to getting an overhaul every two weeks, right? Right, and of course. And she wants that to be at a fixed price. And really what she wants is she'd love for them to come to her house. Right, on a regular scheduled basis. She'd I'm probably s- pay a premium for that. Absolutely. I'm subscribing so to that to, service. Right, and then she would subscribe, and then she wouldn't look for alternatives, and she wouldn't find herself like, oh, I have an hour before I'm meeting my client. Let me yelp and see if there's any mail place around here, a commodity, where I can just get it done because that's what I have to do. So if you take that and you apply that to a bigger organization, right, you can apply that to almost any product or almost any service of what, what, the, what, they real, what somebody really wants. If you look at what, what Blue Apron did, what they were realizing is people were saying, I don't really want to go to the store and buy all the ingredients and have too much. I don't want to have to figure out what I'm going to make. And there's a whole bunch of things. I just want to have dinner at home be easy. So supermarkets could figure that out, right? In some ways, they're much better set up to do it. But that's not their mindset. Their mindset is we have these, you know, we have these vendors, we have these products, we have these shelves, you know, that's how they're thinking. People walk down the shelves, they buy the things. This is how the things are sold to us because that's what the companies, you know, the consumer products companies give it to us in that format. And so, you know, it's just a different way of thinking and, um, and kind of a different way of approaching it. So one thing is you have to change your mindset, um, which has an impact on everything else that you do. Um, a second thing is that you have to be willing to at least think very seriously about there being some cannibalization in the short term. Okay. And w- what do you mean by that? Well. Um, Let's take, um, let's take music. Sure. So, you, you know, back when we were young, right, there were CDs. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and tapes before um, that. <laughs> and, yeah, right. Audio cassettes. And, right. you know, you make, you make the mixtapes that you'd make for your, your, you know, your true love. Exactly. It take you days to do. It's very different from today. Right. And, you know, the companies that made records, they knew that we as consumers wanted more flexibility. We wanted access to all the songs so that we could listen to whatever we want when we wanted. And the technology was there. But the record companies said, wait a minute, you know, we're, this is how we do it. We do it on a record. This is the way we pay royalties. And they, they didn't want to do it because they said, well, if we do it this other way where people are paying $10 a month instead of getting $16 per album, right. we might lose money. Heaven and forbid. we're going to have a dip. We're going to have a dip and the public markets are going to see that we, you know, that our revenues didn't go up. They went down and they're going to sell our stock. Right. right? And you start and, and they sort of panic. And so they say, we're not going to do it. And we're going to make it real, you know, not only that, but we're going to try to prevent anyone else from doing it because we're afraid of cannibalizing our record business with our subscription music business. And even Apple has waited. I mean, they're just now getting into the subscription music business. Like they are Very really true. late. 
very late to the party for these exact reasons, because they were kind of trying to maintain the relationships with the, with the music publishers. And um, so, you know, you, you start to, you know, if, you, if you're going to make this transformation, you have to understand that at some point there might be a dip um, before the revenue goes back up. And so it's not to say that you blindly dive in and say, yeah, we're probably going to lose some money for a while, but you, you need to take a close look and say, well, what is it really going to look like? How do we maximize our chances of the revenue coming back up? And how do we think about this for the long-term health of our business? How do we get away from that quarterly? I think a lot of public, you know, these larger companies, you know, most of them are public. That's right. Publicly traded. So they got to make that quarterly number. Exactly. Yep. I see a lot of pros and cons to that is for sure. Um, it's interesting too, because if you think about it, it's kind of like the newest version of, you know, book of the month club, right? Now I even had someone, totally. you know, I had someone reach out um, last week and talk about the podcast with me and, and their company is they send you, you know, it's a, scrip- a subscription. They send you based on the age of your children, a box full of toys on a, a set period of time and like a monthly box, a full box. And then you open it, you get to see it's kind of surprise and delight, see what they've what they've curated. Um, then you send back the things you don't want and they just charge you for the things that you keep. And then they revise their model, they're personalizing, you know, the things that you typically like for the next month. I, I mean pretty cool, right? Disintermediating mm-hmm. the toy industry. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's the challenge there. So this is a really interesting an interesting model. So this this person you're talking to is a startup, right? He it's correct. It's his That's correct. Business. So the challenge is so when when you look at that and you compare that to a, a major toy manufacturer or a major toy retailer, sure, right? Um, on some level, you say, well, gosh, you know, the the, the, the bigger the bigger companies could do this in right. a lot of ways. Why isn't better. Hasbro doing that or Lego? Right. I mean, they've got Hasbro, the capital to spend on it. They have the capital to spend on it. They hopefully know their consumers. Although I've found working with a lot of big consumer product companies that they actually don't know <laughs> no, their customer because they go through retailers. <laughs> right. So they they have to buy yeah. their data from the, the, the syndicated sources out there like Nielsen, IRI, and others. And so it's not really consumer data. It's like... Right. It's right. Or from subject- the startup. Yep. That's right. Or from the startup. <laughs> that's right. Which is... Or an I've, agency. I've actually done that a few times where I've gone to a startup that's targeting the same audience where the startup knows everything about Right, you know, moms of moms of toddlers or moms of six year olds or whatever. <laughs> right, and the big company is like, can we get a copy? Of, you know, can we? Can we send out an email for us? It's it's really interesting. And when you think about that, but the 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 toy the subscription box entrepreneurs, the challenges that they have are they don't generally have enough scale That's to right. get a really good price on the product. So That's right. What they end up doing is they charge a curation fee effectively. That's correct. Yep. So, right. It is. It's like a premium right? because they're eliminating yeah. the need for you to go to the store and shop but and all the, that. And, right. And the consumer has been trained to expect a discount for their loyalty. So there's this, this funny dynamic where I'm like, okay, well, I agree to buy toys for you every month. So shouldn't I be getting the toys more cheaply? Sure. Because I'm committing to spending fifty bucks a month or whatever <laughs> right, the amount right, is, the subscription. Yeah. Um, didn't I get? I want to get seventy five dollars worth of toys every month curated for fifty dollars. Which honestly, Amazon can do it. Exactly. So, you know, you were giving the example of the the, the, the toys, but you know, Amazon now has a um, subscribe a and save box. program. Yep. Well, they have subscribe and save, and they also have this new box. Um, I'm trying to remember what it's called, but it's a kids um, kids book box. And it's it's a it's a subscription box. It's it's curated by the Amazon um, book buyers. 
Wow. Yeah, I'm just surprised to see, you know, it's it's funny stepping back from it. I am surprised that in the world of products that there aren't some product companies working together even to deliver the direct-to-consumer experience. I mean, direct-to-consumer has been on everybody's radar screen for years, but not many have really stepped into it successfully, um, whereas some of the more niche players have. You know? Right, exactly. Yeah, so, so Amazon has Time Book Box, a subscription that delivers hand-picked children's books every one, two, or three months. Discover new favorites. And it, and it says Time Book Box saves you 35% off list, list price. Interesting. So appealing to the, the cost savings piece too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the scary, you know, if, if I were in consumer, I would be worried right now. Like I would be thinking really hard because Am- what Amazon can't do very well is the real service around it. They can do service in terms of speed of shipping sure. and they can do low cost and they can do returns, but they don't do anything relating to like a concierge, any kind of live experience, any kind of information about how to use the products that's and right. services. Yep. There's, there's ways that you can that you can get around it, but they're definitely coming for the subscription boxes. Interesting. Well, and you you've written a book, The Membership Economy: Find Your Super Users, Master the Forever Transaction, and Build Recurring Revenue. So, um, I know you've you've highlighted some of the things from that book, but give us an example of a couple of the key takeaways from that book that would apply here with our listeners. Yeah. So the the, the key thing is that you need to know who your best customers are. And you need to optimize the experience of your offering around their current and long-term needs. And if you think through that, you probably can build a subscription to lock in their engagement. And even if you can't or you don't want to, you can build a different kind of loyalty that is a more formal um, relationship with that customer. So, um, a lot of people have loyalty programs, but they don't actually have loyalty. You know, the, the customer would never say, I feel loyal to this brand because I love it. They would say, I get discounts for letting them track my behavior. <laughs> right. right. Which is kind of like Amazon. Are, <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Although, I think Amazon, in some cases, people are like, I love Amazon. Amazon changed my life. Amazon Prime. I get my... You know, Prime get now. My, right, yep. yeah. Prime now. I get everything delivered to me. Plus, I watch all my movies. Plus, that's where I store my pictures. Plus, right. plus, plus. Um, I think, you know, and, and what's interesting about that is if you ask most people how much they pay for Prime, they don't know. They don't know. They, exactly. Even though the price <laughs> just went up a little bit. But yeah. Right. Exactly and they right. don't care. I mean, it's really interesting. They don't, they don't care. But so for, for companies that are, that are thinking about this, what I would say is, you know, take a step back and say, why, you know, when, when, who are our best customers and what would we be doing for them that would make them stop looking for alternatives? Mm, that's a where they question. Would, where great they would question. take off their consumer hat and put on their member hat and say, okay, I no longer have to worry about this set of decisions in my life because I've made that decision once and for all, right? I buy my clothes at Nordstrom, you know, period. I'm not looking anywhere else. Unless Nordstrom totally lets me down, I'm buying everything there. That's what you want people to, you know, you want people to get to that point with, with whatever, whatever the, the item is. This is, these are the, the, the snacks, you know, I only, you know, I, the snacks, like kind bar has a wide range of snacks and that's what we eat at our house. Um, because they send me a box every, you know, every week or because I go to their store and they treat me so well or whatever, whatever the reason is. But, but that's really what you want to do is own the customer that is, you know, your ideal customer 
and also be clear about not trying to satisfy everybody else. Everybody. Yep. Right. No question. You know, and so, so I think that would be, you know, and, and think about that forever promise. What is it? What is the promise that your brand is making to your best customers that justifies them not looking for alternatives? I think that's a great question. It's a great question. Wow. Uh, this is awesome. And so, I mean, this is what you do in your day job, which I think is amazing. And, um, and you've got so much thought leadership around it, Robbie. I think this is great. So how can our listeners engage with you? How do they get you to come and talk to their organizations? How do they bring you on as a consultant? I mean, how, how do people reach out to you? Uh, I'm very easy to find. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm on, on LinkedIn, Robbie Baxter. I'm on uh, at Twitter, Robbie Back, uh, membershipeconomy.com, and then my, my firm is peninsulastrategies.com. Um, you have my email address and my phone sure, number. Absolutely. Uh, they're not secrets. So <laughs> I, am, I won't I be am putting those out. But yeah. <laughs> easy, I'm easy to read. Easy to read. It's, I love yeah, it. Cult. Call Justin. Exactly. (laughs) Just reach out to me and I'll just connect you guys. No, I just think this is such an important topic. It's one that, you know, our industry or a lot of industries are being disintermediated right now. And I think this idea of the membership economy is only at the beginning, you know what I mean? In terms of the curve, we're not even at the point where everyone has bought into that yet. And I just think for a lot of companies, they they need to be thinking about this. And so it's going to be an exciting time to be in the space. Yeah, it, it really, it really is. And you know, when I when I wrote the book, um, I had to explain to people why it was relevant to them. <laughs> and I mean, I really did. I said, That's no, no, funny. You know, just look at it. I think this could actually be useful. I mean, these are my friends and family, even um, people who say, "Oh, I'd love to read your book, but I don't think it's relevant to the work we do." <laughs> right. Um, and now I feel like people are starting to really understand the power of of this membership economy philosophy and kind of what what it can do for the company to to join that absolutely transformation. well i just like the idea and I, uh, of thinking about the the member versus a shopper or consumer i mean i just think that's really cool like these are our these are people that are loyal to our brand these are our members they want to be part of our quote-unquote loyalty organization anyway that's it's really fascinating all right robbie it has been awesome having you on the podcast thanks so much for coming on Oh, thank you for having me. It's been really fun. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.